Welcome to Stay Reading, a modern take on the book club. I'm Chris Penrose. And I'm Megan Yuri Young. We have a great episode for you today with Kieran Ray and Neil Watson. Neil is an avid traveler and a lover of all things luxury. He's also a photographer of men's fashion. And Gideon, also known as K-Ray, to me is just hilarious. She's an actor and you might have seen her in Anarchaly. She is Anarchaly. And she's also a model and host of her own podcast, Chataka. Welcome to Stay Reading, both of you. Hey. Um, before we get into the stack of print that we have in the room, <laughs> we want to have our opening question. What kind of reader are you? Um, <laughs> I don't read as often as I would want to. Um, but so I you're think, the guilty reader. I'm the guilty reader. <laughs> I read my friends' books. That's what I do. <laughs> Half the books I have is all my friends' books. Um, you have some prolific uh, friends. Yeah. So we'll get into <laughs> it's that. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> then I'm allowed. <laughs> but um, more so, I like reading stuff that is like entrepreneurial, but also like spiritual. So that's where I'm at. So friends, <laughs> entrepreneur. And spiritual. spiritual yeah. Dope. I'm an ex-Kindle reader. Um, <laughs> ex? You broke up with Kindle? I'm playing, I'm playing. I can do that. Uh, no, the type of reader I am, I, I think uh, I'm less of a reader and more of uh, somebody who just absorbs really beautiful books. Um, I have a fascination and like a pretty deep collection of um, inspirational uh, books that have kind of lived with me throughout the past like 10 years or so. So, yeah, I don't really dive into novels. I leave that up to the more erudite of the two of us, my girlfriend. So <laughs> she she can whip through a book. I just stay looking at pictures all day. <laughs> Close enough, right? You're very visual, right? You're totally, totally so. visual, yeah. I mean, there are definite like definite things that I, I'd like to get into, like subtext and um, poetry, um, mm-hmm. which I used to read a lot of. But I think now if I were to categorize myself as a reader, I'm more of a, of a passive kind of absorber of stuff that is beautiful, so... Awesome. Can we talk about Men Are Afraid of Me? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm Afraid of Men. Yeah. I mean, it's a book about Vivek's journey um, through her transition. So starting off as, you know, someone that was identifying themselves as a gay um, South Asian man and then, you know, going to another place where they started realizing um, she started seeing herself as a woman and she that whole transition of like, you know, being in the South Asian community where you don't see yourself represented. Um, mm-hmm. But that alone with queerness is, like, so beyond us and, like, is so suppressed our sexuality. So I think um, seeing how her, how the privilege changed when she did start identifying herself as a woman, um, uh, what it looked like when she identified herself as a man and like how men used to treat her, but also how women would treat her as well. So I think um, just seeing that whole, the way she writes about it is very poetic as well. And like, it's a short read, but it's it's great. It just whipped through it in like literally a couple hours. <laughs> I, w- I wanted to ask you about, because the, the layout where yeah. it says I'm afraid of men on the front and mm-hmm. then Men are afraid of me, like the the visual. To be like a conclusion from cover to cover. Yeah. Does it start again from the back on the other side? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, one. I thought it was one of those. Does that actually happen though? Does like she starts, like, I'm afraid of men, and then then when you read it, it changes to this. Yeah. I think especially when she starts um, owning her identity as a woman, Mm -hmm. um, she sees the difference of like how men are actually insecure being around her. Mm -hmm. And like even, 
even though her life might be, you know, in constant fleet of like just threats from men and like people around her whenever she's walking down the street with harassment or whatnot, I think she starts seeing the difference of like, it's not about me. It's about you being insecure with yourself and you're not secure with your sexuality. So you're just projecting it on me. And I think that's what you kind of come to conclusion with. Did you find yourself um, seeing your own projections? Yeah, definitely. I also started like questioning myself and like my own, like you don't even realize like your own like misogyny, your own um, homophobia, your own like, uh, you know, racism that that just comes in that you don't even realize you're projecting as well. And I think she calls herself out a lot too. It's not just her talking about what she's experienced, but also how she's projected on other people or had certain expectations of other people and gender roles and whatnot. Chris, you and I were talking earlier about this concept of wishing we can see the world through other people's eyes. And so it's interesting from, I I haven't read this and I'm like, it's on my list now high up there because um, she has this unique opportunity to look through to her own two experiences, her own two lenses, Mm. but we don't, we rarely get that opportunity to shift our perspective in such a drastic way. Yeah. I think that was the biggest thing because I was like, I've never... I would never be able to relate to this. I never experienced any of mm-hmm. this to that point. I mean, even as a woman of color, like, uh, yes, I experienced harassment and all that type of stuff. But, like, to this point where I would never experience where every single day might feel like the end of your, you know, like, it's just, it's it's scary to think about that. That's, like, something she has to constantly think about when she leaves the her apartment. Like, should I wear a bindi? Should I wear makeup? Should I be, you know, going in to the lingerie store and like looking at you know underwear mm-hmm. and lingerie that like it's just things yeah, all like all these decisions have so many consequences exactly and it's mm-hmm. like we think about a, a lot of times when you depending on how much privilege you have yeah. most of the time it's like though there are consequences to major decisions mm-hmm. but minor decisions no. don't seem to have consequences when you have all these layers of privilege yeah. but when you don't have all those layers of privilege it's like the most minor decision like wearing makeup or not or looking at lingerie like as being a big deal is not something um so i mean i think i'm really happy that this book is out in the world yeah Uh, um, it it definitely gives some perspective of like especially now we're seeing a lot more non-binary folks and trans folks being more open and like owning their identity and i think this is a great book to just kind of get in some more insight especially if you're not um, used to like seeing f- folks like this that are like represented in in the major or mainstream. I think it's really great to get this some insight. And I love your language because like something I'm learning lately, especially um, I'm more and more in the volunteer sector, mm-hmm. and so I've been getting a lot of training on mm-hmm. this. And just your use of folks oh, is yeah. something like I'm trying. It's such a hard thing because I feel so old saying it but it's actually the most respectful right now currently in our language and I heard yeah and so it's just interesting like it's yeah Yeah. I mean that came from also my volunteer experience like I I learned that like 10 years ago so like it's in my (laughs) oh I'm just learning it today like not today like this year and I'm like Megan just use it yeah I know I think it's like even for a long time like saying hey guys like yeah. you're just like also calming yeah. like trying my, my to daughter that. teaches me, me that she's five and i'll say come on guys and she's like i'm not a boy yeah you know what i mean and it's like <laughs> just like realizing that and she's so she always wants to see women represented in mm, everything amazing. around her um but just realizing that i'm excluding her yeah 
by using... Well, it's so ingrained in our culture. It's yeah. like um, there was an article I was reading the other day talking about how manhole covers are now being renamed to... Wow. Uh, I don't remember what they call it, but it's no longer manhole cover. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. street cover or whatever it was. Oh, wow. And I'm finding that even... And not to pull too much away from no, your no. conversation, but I think it's really funny for me as a, as a man of color, mm-hmm. it's incredibly difficult because culturally speaking and being from a Caribbean background, mm-hmm. we completely disregard anybody's feelings for that side of the conversation. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, whatever. So for me, it's been, it's definitely also a learning curve now, um, being sensitive um, and being aware Mm -hmm. of how we communicate between each other. Folk is a dope-ass word. (laughs) And that's why I love books like this, because it it really just makes that more and more transparent. Yeah, yeah. And and there's a transition from a um, Vivek's book to a book you're holding because yes. it's Which pink one? as well. <laughs> yeah, we got so let's go. Let's go from I'm afraid of men to Tokyo. Can you hear this? Wow. Yeah, that's the texture. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. We were like talking it. about yeah. um, just one of the beautiful things about print is that. There are so many types of textures. So yeah. what what's this book here? So see it says this, Tokyo on it. Yeah, so this is a uh, Louis Vuitton um, city guide book. Mm. And uh, long story short about these. So I've been collecting these for the past maybe six years or so. Mm. And I've tried my best to get one in every city that I visit. And uh, this was actually a gift from my... Uh, girlfriend because we went to the Louis Vuitton like sorry we were invited to the Louis Vuitton exhibit in Toronto when they were doing these and the special part about these books to me is that I've always had a fascination with like some way of finding out much more than you possibly could about a city Mm. Um, and I think the cool part about it is there are very few images in here and it's all text so it's like a lexicon old school dictionary for city Mm. so I found that to be totally fascinating and every city that it has in the collection, like I have Mexico City, Toronto, whatever, whatever. But every time you open one up, it's almost as if like you're going back in time mm. because it really has that old school feel to it. And I totally, totally love it. Um, and it's pink. So <laughs> are, they, are they all pink? No, no, no. no. They, all, they all have color? different co- uh, colors and different design aesthetics, but they come with these like super neat little collectible um, stickers. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And are you supposed to like put the stickers on spots that you exactly, visited? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what, what's something in, like you've been to Tokyo, I'm assuming. No. So that's the thing. Oh. This is the only book I own out of this collection that I haven't been to the and city. Why, and then why did you bring this one with you? Be, it's because it's the one that I didn't go to yet. <laughs> so it's aspirational. Yes. Got my yes. pink book. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Trying to manifest this in reality. But no, Tokyo is a trip that... Um, Can we I'm, manifest a trip for the four of us? Yeah. Yes. Right, I mean, oh, get that God. budget, to to cut Tokyo. a check. Um, so Tokyo is a city that I actually really want to visit. But I think... Over the past few years, I realized, like, how expensive it actually is. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be for my 35th, like, right before I have kids. Like, let me just, you know, spend a whole bag of money and just, like, go see <laughs> yeah. Tokyo. That's good. Have kid, be, Get broke and then have kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you do it anyways, <laughs> apparently. But, uh, but, yeah, specifically to this book, the reason why I also brought it is because as a photographer, um, I tend to be incredibly visual. So I'm holding two other books um, in my hands that are pretty photo-based. This book specifically has very few photos. So in my mind, I want to fill each of these pages with my photography. Mm. I want to go to these places. I want to go to this square and I'm kind of showing them this page of uh, people walking down the street in Tokyo, but like hordes of people with the same umbrella. So Mm. that's goals for me in Mm -hmm. life. And I keep this right next to my desk. um, And it's just a reminder. And I mean, it's 
bright as hell. So what's funny is I'm excited for that because I have been to Tokyo. Um, This was like 10 odd years ago. And I, 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 so it's already changed so much in the the past decade. So I'm very, I can't wait for you to go. And I hope you go sooner than later because I want to see you, how you feel. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, I mean, that's like, I might do a little book with it, but yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see your eye on that. Dude, I might lose both of them. <laughs> Looking at everything like my head on a swivel the whole time. <laughs> it's gonna be fun, but uh, yeah, that's nothing too deep about this book, but it's awesome. Oh Always. no, I think that's what's beautiful about it too is that you've you've put meaning into it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's totally simple, and and to me, um, it's kind of like the the most beautiful segue from um, incredibly. So what I do in luxury photography, and then kind of looking at how that is a conduit for really great work in things that are everyday that don't have to be luxurious. So I think it's really ironic that Louis Vuitton produces these city guide books and it's like mm-hmm. the most affordable thing in the store. Yeah, actually, that's <laughs> another reason why. Straight up. So I like, bought, yeah. I bought the Seoul, which I haven't been to Korea yet and I'm half Korean. Yeah. Um, I bought it aspirationally, but I also bought it because it was the most affordable thing yep. mm-hmm. there. So you own something like else, you know. And they put it in the bag with the little ribbon oh, yeah, and they like spray it with the perfumer like, Amazing. here you go, sir. And I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> but the funny thing too is I wanted to ask you why yeah. why this specific travel yeah, so, book and yeah. so it yeah. has the stamp of Louis Vuitton's approval. Yep, yep, exactly. That's Literally. Funny. I'm going to own some LV this week. Yeah, yeah bro, you got a cup of belt, <laughs> a, little, a little man purse. Yeah, I don't know, the book. I'm, nothing else is in the budget. Yeah. In the book. <laughs> That's it. Now I can say I own some LV. Oh, um, I want to ask you about the plant book you have. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I know, you're obsessed with this yes, plant book. I so am. the funny thing is I brought this the last time we were talking mm-hmm. uh, and I brought it with the sole purpose of, and I feel like it seg- it segues really nicely from um, your Tokyo travel guide in the sense that have you guys ever, this is a question I have for both of you, have you guys ever like gone into a bookstore and... Uh, so this one particularly, I went in to get a gift for someone, mm-hmm. and then I someone just I, for someone else. Yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> and, you, not and, I, and I'm always <laughs> compelled. Like I love print so much, I'm always compelled, almost always compelled to like walk out with something. something yeah. And so I was in the plant section because I was getting a plant book for a friend, and this one stood out because a I I am a plant mama, but I don't take care of my plants very well. So that was one. <laughs> B, I love style. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that it, it, this is like very visual. And already so I just beautiful. open up and I'm just inspired by the arrangements. I'm yeah. inspired by the different leaves. And even Chris opened it up and he's like, he wanted me to talk about this page. He, he, yeah, no, choosing your plant game. Oh. Oh. You know what I mean? yeah. okay. And so first of all, I ha- so it's a two-part question. One, you know, are you... You know, how does print play in your life in the sense of just having this, like, for me, I'm compelled to buy print. Mm. And then second of all, I want to ask about your plant gang, if you have one. <laughs> <laughs> Both referring to each other. So, yeah, to that question, do you, can you walk in a bookstore without buying a book? It's hard. I, see, I feel no. like it's hard. Yeah, I think specifically. I, like, I also am like really like when it comes to decisions, <laughs> and I'm yeah. if I'm by myself, I'm like the, the worst. worst. Like I'm like, oh my god, how do I make this decision? Do I buy this book? Do I not? Like I do that a lot, and I'm always trying to buy stuff for other people. That's why I end up in the bookstore. <laughs> nice. But then I do end up 
getting well, and, <laughs> and also because we were talking about this so another thing to put it like kind of like have you think about it is books are so beautiful now yeah, like not that they weren't but they're always been beautiful yeah. to me but there is such an emphasis on um literature as art yes. these yeah. days yeah. And, and well, yeah, with your visual background there's yeah. so many more books now that we have to be able to pick and choose from and yeah. i mean like not not a personal plug or anything, but my my handle is literally Savior of Print because, no. and I I made that handle like when Instagram started, right. and that was because I've always had a fascination with print, mm-hmm. and I find that there's something so much more interesting about being able to tangibly feel something, yeah. smell the ink, yeah. feel the pages turn, um, and that's why I made the Kindle joke because it's like why why really. <laughs> really we're gonna try stuff all this in a kindle but yeah. um but yeah so even self-publishing a book um this was like four and a half years ago um we used to run a magazine mm-hmm. and being able to physically pick it up touch it smell it and like have that 360 experience yeah. while reading the the words and having those words jump off the page even images i think is incredibly important and that's why it's so much more available now because people are realizing that there's a reason too why people are using film to photograph mm-hmm. exactly you know what i mean like yeah. we're we've lost touch with touch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also there's it, it, there's character and mm-hmm. there's more to storytelling like chris you brought that graphic novel mm-hmm. um if i can steal it from you for yeah, a second yeah, that is a oh, yeah so thing. i want you to speak about this oh, yeah. but the when we were going through our books earlier he he it's the hip-hop family tree mm-hmm. and it's yes. I, I i don't know if the is special collector's book? issue is no they're they're all they're all like this. oh it's yeah so look you open it up and it's specifically chosen paper to make it feel vintage to make yeah. it feel retro and chris obviously i want you to speak about yeah, it but yeah. i Sweet. my first thing was this is why print is special mm-hmm. because this adds to the storytelling mm-hmm. of what he's already trying to tell by having you open this and feel like you've discovered something like, you know, you go to a, a garage sale, you open a, a old suitcase yeah, and a, you, all like, of a sudden yeah. you find someone's diary. Yeah. It's, like, it's like Christmas. Yeah. It's also, it lives longer, right? Like we don't know how long the internet's going to live or like I mean, where digital is going or like, you know, our things can easily be get, get lost mm-hmm. with, with like print you feel like there's substance you know yeah. you're or your or like your um credit card bounced on your cloud <laughs> yeah and yeah. you don't have access <laughs> like to your data no more yeah, that, like that you know there's all these things <laughs> like i needed that quote well, this is, I, so this I just don't trust technology that's my well problem. then but, i'm sorry but on that note fahrenheit 451 always makes me fear for print though yeah. where like things can still be burned right or, you know exactly. there can be still so i i think there's a well, you, but you could also lost, change though. things digitally. Like that, one of the things that really blew my mind was when you started seeing on iTunes mm-hmm. an album would change. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Where I, when I bought the CD or I bought the vinyl, like it was, you can't you can't go. Oh, you sell a million copies of a record. You can't go change that. Yeah. But yeah. if it's uploaded, yeah. you can change oh, the album, and songs true. can disappear in versions. Yeah. But Whoa, this book itself, that. um yeah. Ed Piscor is a illustrator and writer researcher. He, he his first work was I think on the culture of hacking and just got so deep into like all of these real characters and then represents them in um, graphic novel form or comic form. But he did this one hip hop family tree. There's four editions out now. So they go through different periods of time. This is um, 70s to 81. Um, and then he has like, eight, I think the next one's 82 to 84, then 84 to 85, to 87 around those jumps. And the detail of it is like he won't put anything in here that three different sources didn't verify. Mm. And so there's all these cultural moments. And yeah, so it's like (laughs) this one here where he's talking about um, 
Grandmaster Flash. So he's mm-hmm. like talking about Cool Herc's absence um, leaves a void. The other DJs quickly fill and they're talking about Grandmaster Flash and then talking about he's so preoccupied with cutting and mixing, scratching records that he doesn't even know what to say on the microphone. Then boom, goes into this vacancy, doesn't go unnoticed. And now you have um, this uh, guy named Cowboy who takes over and it's little moments like this where you All see him really saying, yeah. throw your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. Like, But the research is like, we know that that's a popular mm-hmm. thing. You've heard that said a million times. Like this is that. one of the first people to say that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And oh, to really, wow. So he goes into this incredible detail of like wow. the industry side. You're seeing like, you know, Blondie and that whole what happened there. Russell Peters, or sorry, Russell Simmons. Yeah. You see him when he was just like, in the street, trying to connect with artists. Really? So yeah, this is a phenomenal oh, I series. Love it. I want no, that's good. Um, yeah. And he also does sneaker collabs. Okay. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think he's from Baltimore. Really, yeah, really interesting guy. So look up Ed Piscor. Yeah. Um, Sapiens. Is that you want to talk about that, or, or, or yeah, do you want to talk about what else you want to talk about? Jump, jump to what you want to talk about. Yeah. What's the, What's the next okay. one? You're touching. Let's well, touch, yeah. talk about Rupee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Rupi. we should. Maybe we should talk Jimmy. about Rupee. Because our friends. So, when yeah, when Chris t- <laughs> told me about Rupee, I was like, I'm gonna geek out, and this is gonna be, yeah. So, yeah, um, Rupee Gore, she's just some girl, you know, <laughs> some like bestseller author. But, yeah. Anyways, um, change the game of poetry. Change the game of poetry. Like people are reading again. It's good. Um, but uh, so The Sun and Her Flowers um, I saw Rupi I guess like I saw the success of Milk and Honey and what it like did and like how it changed her career so quickly like literally almost overnight like it just happened so quickly and I think just to see like you know getting this amount of success and then all of a sudden having to write a second book Mm-hmm. and now live up to what you just created. I think that was really difficult for her. And, like, seeing how, you know, something like she just did out of passion and love and just wanted to put something out there and self-published her first book and then, you know, got picked up and got, you know, big publishers to be, like, putting into book. I mean, stores and stuff. And I think it was just, like, seeing so much of that success so quickly at such a young age obviously was detrimental and, like, tried to hinder her process with this book and I think this why this is why I think this book is really special because mm-hmm. she really put her heart and soul into it and tried to like you know come up with some cool shit and like I think the difference between the first one was like a lot of like the process of like heartache and like heartbreak and then kind of healing from that whereas this is like yes it's similar but it goes into deeper stuff where she also talks about you know being a child of uh, um of immigrants and um she talks about her mother a lot as well is there one you could read yeah uh, there's one that i really like um okay broken english is my favorite because it's her spoken word that she usually does but i don't know if i should read it because it's kind of long so um maybe just an excerpt yeah maybe i can do one okay cool um let me just go here Okay. I just love the illustrations. Too. I know. So yeah, this. Well, you guys can't see, but um, this is an illustration of her mom right here. I'm uh, sure. I'm sure. Everyone, line drawing. Yeah. Beautiful. Really so beautiful. Page you, you guys can Google that at home. Yeah, page one forty eight. Go check it out. <laughs> cool. Um, so uh, 
She left an entire village to be his wife. Now she left an entire country to be a warrior. And when the winter came, they had nothing but the heat of their own bodies to keep the coldness out. Like two brackets, they faced one another to hold their dearest parts of them, their children, close. They turned a suitcase full of clothes into a life of life and regular paychecks to make sure that children of immigrants wouldn't hate them for being the children of immigrants. Mm. That's so powerful. Wow. What yeah. a symbol of like turning a suitcase of clothes into yeah. like a life. A regular paycheck. And then that motivation of like, you didn't ask to come here. Yeah. And I don't want you to hate us yeah. for being here. And yeah. if you're, if you don't have a good life. Yeah. You'll have that resent for us, but if you do have a good life, then then it'll feel like it was all worth it. Yeah, and it's beautiful as a Canadian author too, right? Yeah. To you know, you you read that you you recite that to me, and mm. I just think of my grandparents. Yeah. So there's that personal connection, mm-hmm. and um, and she has that universal quality to her work yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah, I think like for me, when I whenever I hear that line, I always think about like because there is such a gap between generations still, even mm. though like you know, a lot of us are trying to find that meaning through our work. And like as artists, especially, we're always trying to find like, you know, ways to talk about our experience as immigrants and or children of immigrants. And um, for me, when I hear it, it's like, I think about that time where like, I didn't have that conversation with my parents, or they wouldn't be as supportive of the work that I was doing. And like, how do you communicate that Mm -hmm. with a generation that all they saw was like, hey, we moved all the way here, we worked, you know, night and day, hard labor jobs, 60 hours a week, just to give you guys some sort of opportunity and you're choosing to be an artist, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, it's just like having that even reality, like thinking about how do you make sure your parents, because we feel guilty Mm -hmm. that, you know, that Mm -hmm. they work so hard. Like, how can I give them that life and make sure they're not working Mm -hmm. until they're like 60, 70 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think those are the conversations I see when I hear that. How does that resonate with you, Neil? Well, it's funny, um, that whole space and that conversation about, you know, what the expectations are of our parents. So Mm -hmm. I'm third, second generation, Mm -hmm. um, and we come from a very mixed family. So we're from Shimla, which is in the north of India, Mm -hmm. and then that side of my family moved to Jamaica. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we all know Jamaicans have, like, four jobs. (laughs) Um, So when, you know, when I forewent going to law school... Mm -hmm. um, that was an interesting conversation, and I mean interesting, like, it was neither good nor bad. It was very um, matter-of-fact, and mm-hmm. I, I told my uh, my aunt, I was raised by my aunt and my mm-hmm. mom, and I kind of told them that I had this grand ambition to be in, in the luxury world, and so I used to be a buyer, I worked for Ralph Lauren and blah, 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 whatever, mm-hmm. um, but within that space, transitioning out of it and like being an entrepreneur and like owning my own company and like years later now finally being successful, mm-hmm. I'm seeing those tears that they had all those years ago kind of turn into tears of joy mm-hmm. and understanding that we, as like our generation, we live by a different code and, and we think differently and we have space to think. Mm-hmm. I think that that was the hardest part about how they came into this country um, and made something of themselves. They just worked to work and mm-hmm. they didn't have space Mm-mm. to think and right. to feel. Yeah. So what's interesting mm-hmm. is I always have a different um, perspective on this because my I'm first generation on my mom's side, but then I'm second generation on my dad's side or mm-hmm. technically first generation mm-hmm. actually. But to keep it short, but also maybe other people can resonate with this my parents have always just let us do our thing mm-hmm. um rare. and yeah. yeah and i think that is a bit rare on my mom's side she was a dreamer she was mm-hmm. in 
uh, South Korea is going to be a very offside joke, but I always joke that she's from North Korea because she never talks about her past <laughs> <Right>. ever. <laughs> yeah. And my grandfather was a politician. I never met him, unfortunately. Mm. But when she came here at like in her early 20s, you know, she did, barely spoke English. Now she's an adult ESL teacher. Mm. Um, she had, but she was, she grew up reading um, like Western novels mm-hmm. as she, or trying to read them. Mm-hmm. And so she just wanted us to just do whatever we wanted, whether it was mm-hmm. to be a teacher or to be an artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I always find it fascinating um, that there are those stories as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it is about space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is about space. Yeah. yeah. I definitely yeah. think they don't have time to think about what they want mm-hmm. at yeah. all. They yeah. even choice, right? Like, even like when I think about if I ask my dad, like, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. To be asked, like, how are you doing? Are you is feeling? like, how are you feeling? Like, yeah. you care about my feelings. No one's ever asked me how mm-hmm. I'm doing or how I'm yeah. feeling. So mm-hmm. I think like, those things even having like critical conversations with parents like they've never opening up yeah yeah opening up and being vulnerable i think that was the hardest thing because it's like there is that intergenerational um teaching that happens you know it's like the you know parents do want to teach us about you know what it took for them to set things up for us or the sacrifices that they made and Mm -hmm. but then there's also things like where our generation say may may be really it's really important to check in and Mm -hmm. mental health and Mm self-care and you know like there's a lot of hidden self-medicating in previous generations that like because they're not dealing with um, themselves for all the listeners out there The environment we are recording in doesn't seem to be that important because you can't see the space. But to get beautiful sound, whether it's for a podcast, recording music, or even for film, TV, and advertisements, the space you're in and how it runs matters. That's why we record Stay Reading out of Post Office Sound in Liberty Village. From the raw audio to creating a sound bed and all of the magic that happens in post, the difference can not only be heard, it can be felt. So to all the creatives out there, if you need great audio, Think post office sound. So I studied psych in school, mm-hmm. but it was this book by uh, Gabor Mate mm-hmm. uh, that in the realm in the realm of hungry ghosts that got me back into learning more about mental health, addiction, and mm-hmm. dep- everything because I'm. Um, I'm slowly becoming more and more of a mental health advocate, so I just need to read more up on it because I want to be knowledgeable. And so I picked this up because it was highly recommended to me. Mm -hmm. And what I'm realizing always in all of our conversations is that everything comes back to being human. Mm -hmm. And so this is the 10-year anniversary of this book, which came out, the 10-year anniversary edition came out last year, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, so he writes a new introduction And I'm going to read just a small passage um, in the new introduction that he writes. Your book humanizes the addict, many readers have told me over the years. Um, That acknowledgement reflects a fundamental and common misperception. Addicts are human. Mm -hmm. And I remember highlighting this, and this informed the the way I read this book Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's such a subtle change in perspective. Mm -hmm. But the fact that so many people read his book and learned so much about addiction and childhood trauma and mental health in general, and yet still walked away with that slight misconception mm. that, oh, it humanizes the addict. He wasn't humanizing. He was just interviewing addicts in East Hastings, Vancouver, mm. um, to show that they are human, that they are yeah, human. Simply. 
simply like, human. Yeah. Done. Not humanizing. Yeah, not yeah. humanizing yeah. them. They are human. That, yeah. that everything. Yeah, like, how does a human get humanized, right? Yeah. yeah. But the question, but it, but the reality is that whether we're talking about Vivek's work mm-hmm. and the idea of yeah. like, oh well, this is people have these perceptions of this. What it, you know, means to be trans mm-hmm. and like then you're talking about the word immigrant and mm-hmm. the title that comes around that mm-hmm. and what people um, see in that box that um, you get put in mm-hmm. when that is checked off on your identity or mm-hmm. addict mm-hmm. or homeless, mm-hmm. like what yeah. these things mean. And, and you lose Sorry. sense of like, and that's why I think th- this writing that we're talking about today and every um, one of those identity areas does open up to like um, the universality of that very specific experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. something to be said about the way that we identify ourselves too. I'm yeah. learning. So I'm a um, therapy advocate. Um, I'm actually going to therapy after this. Amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to your therapist. It was like a therapy warm up right here. <laughs> oh, I got a glass of water. Going, but no, I've been going to therapy for three years. Uh, little side note, but I think it weaves directly into what we're discussing about mm-hmm. identity. Mm-hmm. Um, we self-identify simply based on our reflections from others. Yes. And when you start to, we were talking about projection earlier, when you start to project yourself onto others, you what you get back might not be exactly what you're, what you're thinking you mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that to say that I think the immigration, um, sorry, the immigrant experience, the gender experience, the human experience, mm-hmm. I think where what I'm learning from therapy now and talking about um, humanizing ourselves is just being kind, Mm -hmm. kind to myself Mm -hmm. and being patient with myself, allowing myself to feel through these things, which funny enough is a great segue into the last book that I wanted to talk about. Is that the one? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So excited. I saw him with that. Of course. Um, So yeah, this book for you folks at home, shout out to folks. Um, (laughs) This is the first of many, but definitely one of the first books um, from a, Previously unknown photographer Vivian Mayer, um, mm-hmm. and she's my go-to idol, um, like for street oh, photography. Wow. Wow. Her work is hauntingly beautiful, oh my and God, literally. Um, for y'all colloquial people, it's dope as shit. Um, mm-hmm. You need to go see it. It almost looks staged. It almost looks like the lighting and everything looks yeah. so studio, but it's n- it's not. Oh, it's her, so stunning. Yeah, yeah, her use of texture in black and white was wow. so incredibly like her color work too yeah yeah so this book i believe is only black yeah. and white yeah this one's only black so and white. she's she's a it's such a her story's so interesting um i came across her just through instagram someone who's a street photographer taha in the city mm-hmm. was posting oh, yeah. Yeah. and i didn't know so her work emotion. so then i just went down this rabbit hole watching documents mm-hmm. multiple documentaries about her but wow. she worked as a she was a basically nanny. a domestic worker yeah oh. a nanny oh wait was her was she the one whose work was discovered? Yeah. yeah. So it was discovered. Oh and my so gosh, spent, I know this story. She spent yeah. all of her money on film. Yeah. And wow. ended up getting, she had a fall and then ended up in like, you know. It was hospice care. Ho- getting then, yeah, hospice care. Yeah, and her, so all yeah. of her um, film roles that she had in storage ended up getting auctioned yes. off. And like when people just go to the storage unit that's being cleared out because they can't pay for it anymore. Yeah, and somebody was smart enough to... Well, but, yeah, and, and there's a few people that it got spread out, but her what's amazing is she had no formal training. She wasn't a professional photographer. She just basically 
worked as a nanny so that she could afford to I'm take so photos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the funny yeah. thing is, when I was talking about garage sales and discovering things, yeah. her story was top of mind. I just couldn't, I didn't realize mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Whoa. so cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, after I saw the, um, the well, first I, first I saw the documentary and then, like, obviously, like, that kind of, I went down the rabbit hole like you. I started doing my research. And as a photographer, um, I, yeah, here, take a look. As a photographer, I have to say, like, her work to me to this day kind of trumps like Gordon Parks and and those 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 other photographers only because it's so unexpected like mm. to think that somebody like that with no formal training and no real purpose other than to just document the mm. world yeah. around her um that's what really did it for me and and obviously like you know the the work I mean we can't show it to you at home but google it it's <laughs> Phenomenal. It's yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. And so talking about identity, her self-portraits, so on the cover of this book, that's a self-portrait that she took. Okay. This has been uh, a, a very long conversation that I'm trying to have with myself. And there's a project that I'm working on now um, called Where I Belong. Mm. And that is a um, a conversation between myself and 10 um, female or at least self-identifying females in the city of Toronto. And why I say that is because for my entire life, I've, we're talking about projection, I've only identified myself in things that I was worthy of based on the women that were in my life. Mm. And um, I know y'all can't say this at home, but like all of my tattoos are actually dedicated to different women in my life. Mm. And so I found myself really questioning my decisions, um, things that I had done in the past, good or bad Mm -hmm. and so Vivian Mayer was the first photographer so happens to also be a woman Mm -hmm. um, who would take these self-portraits that you could see the the pain you could see the joy you could see all of these little the the minutiae in how she was as a person Mm -hmm. but she was also an incredibly beautiful woman but not to the public like Mm -hmm. she stood very tall she Mm -hmm. was a bit awkward Mm -hmm. and so you see that that kind of like that um that duality Mm -hmm. in her work Mm -hmm. and for me that was so much um there was so much pride and joy in being able to like pick up something like that and see these things Mm -hmm. and then have it sort of feed into my work so um, yeah, all of that awesome. to say that this book has changed my life and funny enough my business partner was the one who bought it for me and he just mailed it to me like didn't tell me anything and I just got it in the mail one day and I was like I think in in this actual book one of my favorite self-portraits of her is there's um, some people are moving into a house and someone's carrying a mirror down a ramp in the truck and she captures herself in the mirror and to do that with the camera that she was using at the time the Loli yo I'm telling you that camera Oh really? Yeah. So we act like my my business partner also yeah. has the same camera. Nice. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I have that. Camera oh yeah, I think or I've similar seen camera it. in my house too. Just I don't know if it's working, but it's yeah. just like a. Yeah. yeah it's, we've been it's using it lately. Which nice. Is amazing, but yeah. speaking of, of while well, you look for um, the portrait to show us, speaking of uh, gifting books, like how beautiful is that to have someone know you so well, mm-hmm. more almost maybe arguably in this moment know you more well mm-hmm. than you know you. Know me better. Know me better than you know. I didn't. I didn't think so. And then to gift this to you or thought yeah. about you, like, uh, let's talk about well, even that. Like, so what you, you said, you said Gordon Parks, and um, I have this crazy story of I was working at a call center, 
for a credit card. Won't name what it was. <laughs> Capital and I was wondering. <laughs> no, no, well, I was I'm wondering. Joking, joking. And I'm reading Voices in the Mirror by Gordon Parks at that time. Mm. He's so enthralled in the book, and I'm like, I wonder if Gordon Parks has the card. I see a, a search his name. Not supposed to do this. So I did. <laughs> Manhattan address, and we spoke on the phone actually. Um, wow. Yeah, I called him. Had a <laughs> life changing <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Yo, you ruthless man. Life. Jeez. So when you when you said yeah, you we can try to do some of that shit. I get life, it was a life changing <laughs> conversation. I mean, the 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 main you nugget spoke was spoke to Gordon Park. Yeah, yeah, and he um, <laughs> we were talking unfazed. about unfazed. Chris is unfazed. No, I'm like, not unfazed. Yeah. No, 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 it no, no, changed yeah, yeah. my life. You know no, but meaning like right in this conversation, you're yep, yep, yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's it's such a. I think it's in the other edition. So this was like literally the first one that. But it ties into the gifting thing where. Um, years later, like that conversation shaped because I talked about writing and, and he said, you know, a lot of things. But one of the things he said, you want to be a writer? Right. And then he paused, just quiet. He's like, Punto. if you want to be a writer, right. right. And just the way he punctuated that, though, like the clarity and having read, like he's so prolific. He did mm -hmm. so many things. I won't go into it all. But I was given a gift mm -hmm. of years later from a friend of a retrospective of His Gordon Parks' work. Mm. Um, and I was actually thinking, it sits in, I look at it all the time, it sits like in a very open spot in my house. But I was thinking, again, like probably two weeks ago, I saw the book and I was like, if it wasn't for my friend Frank, who heard my story about Gordon Parks, saw this book, bought it for me, I wouldn't have that book because I didn't even know yeah, it existed I and I never would have spent either. the money on this like retrospective of his work. So. And then something just sparked in me. So I love punctuation. Mm -hmm. I always have. I've mm -hmm. always been that person who texts properly. I <laughs> actually train myself to be a little bit more colloquial. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I like yeah, yeah. train myself not to be. But you, I'm sorry, I know you have this in your hand, but you um, have Solange's book and that Ooh. poem oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that, because you brought, we were, because we, we were, yes. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. that, music video? you know yeah, what so I'm talking about. Share. You know so what I'm talking about. So seat at the table um, oh, had a book oh, and I, I always got like really scared that it was going to be sold out when I saw it announced oh, on our Instagram. So it has the photography on one side. <gasps> Really beautiful. Who it? Um, I don't. I don't recall. The, I think but it's, it's Carlito. Yeah, I don't. I don't recall who did okay. the photography. But then one. the other side of it is the lyrics oh, written yeah. out with punctuation. So this is "Don't touch my hair," but um, you see the spacing where it's like "Don't touch," and you mm. see that space where even the way "to" of "touch" with the space between "uch" gives you her tone "my" oh, wow. and you. Uh, Deep pause again. Mm -hmm. Hair. Yeah, so there are spaces in between all of the words here. Yeah. And so the whole verse effect. is the way she sings it mm -hmm. is um, not just proper punctuation of periods, commas, mm -hmm. semicolons, colons, dashes mm -hmm. to give you the sense, but using spacing mm -hmm. yeah, in a really unconventional way. Yo, that's some yeah. deep shit. It's that's deep. So yeah, deep. you know y'all yeah. need to end this podcast yeah. with all the song. I, Faded out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Licensing. Don't touch my hair. Oh, this is cool. Yeah, yeah. Play yeah. like the intro. Really, really and there's beautiful. just so much power. And so I always thought of um, punctuation as grammar. But the more I'm learning it's about powerful. art and poetry, too, yeah. because I've never been uh, a reader of poetry, or at least avidly. Mm -hmm. I, I studied I English, so I have all of this. But it's just so, it is so powerful to see um, people interpret mm -hmm. punctuation or even using it in within their language mm -hmm. or and then seeing it as 
visualizing a song. Well, how do you take voice and truly put it on a page? And that's, to me, great writing. Mm-hmm. When you compare all the great writers, it's their punctuation, their themes, their topics, their mm-hmm. uh, subject matter, etc. The the format all is different. So mm-hmm. what makes mm-hmm. them great? It's yeah. it's their voice. They've been able to hone their voice so clearly that mm-hmm. you can experience mm-hmm. their voice mm-hmm. when you read it. And I think punctuation is a way, but mm-hmm. poetry. I have to I have to talk about. This. So yeah, no, no, Racket, you have to. I love Racket it. Racket Magazine. I came across because Caitlin Thompson, who's one of the founders and publishers, was on Monaco Radio mm. talking about this magazine. It's about tennis, but kind of yeah, the off the beaten mm. track stories of tennis. It's mm. not about like the circuit, and it's not a typical like sports magazine layout mm. either. Like they, so it looks like they a have an illust- version of what mm. tennis magazine would be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really beautiful illustration, oh, photography. Um, and they have this interview in here with John McEnroe, who's like, was known as kind of like the bad boy tennis was his signature is like, I mean, on your gravestone, they should have a image of him yelling at an umpire. You know what I mean? Like etched in because that's, that's the image. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's being interviewed by a painter named Frederick Kunith, which Mm -hmm. I thought was a cool pairing. He asked the question, is there poetry in losing? Mm -hmm. And just so, so John McEnroe says poetry in losing. Poetry and losing, just thinking about it, right? Um, there can be poetry and losing, actually, because the f- favorite match I've ever been associated with is a match I lost. The Wimbledon final with Borg in 80. And just pause it. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen the movie, mm-hmm. McEnroe and Borg, mm-hmm. I love it. It's phenomenal. And he says, I got more respect from the fans, more respect from, most importantly, the other players, and more respect from the media. The way the match panned out and the way it's been perceived and talked about is one of the greatest matches ever. I think they're akin, but there is a beautiful poetry in losing. Ultimately, that match with Lendl, another match he's talking about, even though it was by far the worst loss of my career, I would like to think that it forced me, whether I liked it or not, Mm -hmm. to become a better person, Mm -hmm. just the way having kids does. You see life in a different way, or you realize it's not all about you. Mm. And I just thought, like, you know... Yeah, no, it's not yeah, <laughs> definitely poetry. But it, um, for me, that excites me in so many ways. Hearing John McEnroe at this very reflective mm-hmm. place in his life to talk mm-hmm. about that, um, and I think just in this culture that we're in, where you, you all you see is people's highlights reels, and you see everyone winning, and so you're wondering why I'm mm-hmm. not winning mm-hmm. in the same way. Um, for him to talk about not just oh yeah. You know, failure is good. People say fail fast and fail up and all these kind of <laughs> little things that get um, turned into like little memes and hashtags. <laughs> exactly. But to take it back and say like, no, I can give you a practical example. I, some The greatest match I was ever a part of, mm-hmm. I lost. Mm. The most embarrassing loss mm-hmm. of my career made me a better person. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of like what I was talking to you about. Um, I had this uh, very long story short, but I screwed up in, in January on a shoot mm. and it like, it humbled me. And um, my uh, my creative director at, at the at, at that point was like, yo man, sometimes you just got to get your ass whooped. Yeah. yeah. Like just sit the fuck down and yeah. sorry for the curse words. Um, but <laughs> okay. yeah, just sit down and, and realize that like you, you're not, like you're not all that you think you are sometimes mm-hmm. and that humility has driven me to what we just touched on at the beginning that's mm-hmm. what's driven me to like go back to the to the chalkboard and like start over and mm-hmm. you know taking photography classes at 
my age now this at this point in my career has like taught me more about myself than I, I think I could ever have imagined so yeah. I think that's important th- too for like for me as well like I, <laughs> I had the same issue like last year and it was like on set I was just like it was like I say it was the worst day of my life and yeah. <laughs> it was just like literally like I was I ended up like leaving my agent that day like it was just wow. like a really big thing that just happened the producers were just like not nice to me the whole time and like I ended up just like feeling like shit and I was just like Were you modeling? I was um acting. Oh okay. And it was for a commercial. And it was like so like so- small and minuscule but like I just felt like oh like you know if if this is happening, then, like, what does this mean for the rest of my career? And no, then it's just, like, course, no. you know, just, like, contemplating everything. And I think I needed that moment to really reevaluate all the things that I want to do. And, like, yeah. how do I reframe things? Mm. Yeah. Well, there was actually something else when I was flipping through that a racket earlier. Um, there was an image of him or an illustration. I can't remember. Just it was laid saying, out like, on the ground. Something about him. Not even that one, though. It was another one saying it's, like, it feels like the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think that's why we try to romanticize mm. yeah everything was like the end of the world it's i think we try to romanticize failure mm-hmm. um instead of uh instead of embracing learning mm-hmm. because as our survival it's survival to um see the upside mm-hmm. right or or not actually mm-hmm. it could go either way mm-hmm. um but the whole thing of like learning just learning just reading mm-hmm. just immersing yourself and realizing um we don't know anything and if you actually embrace not knowing anything then it not only alleviates the pressure but you're open Mm -hmm. you're open yeah Yeah. one of the most underrated sorry one of the most underrated um statements that i've heard somebody say so far um this year was like i'm not an expert in that so i don't i can't form an opinion Mm -hmm. i I love that i was like oh okay good yeah thank you yeah. yeah, and it's the My other thing, like, is... hustle like you're broke, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's like that mindset yeah. of, of if you think you know all these things, you're not going to ask questions. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, let me find out. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, just like that humility, mm-hmm. just being admitting as we, it's not only highlight reel, we just like to, mm-hmm. we, we like, like to, to feel, show yeah. like, oh no, we know, but like, mm-hmm. wh- why does, why is there anything wrong with not knowing? Yeah. That's why I hire experts. <laughs> Well, I was just gonna. Sorry. Okay. I was yeah. gonna quickly say. Um, well, one of the books with yeah. Jigmeet. I don't know which one. Jigmeet Singh just released his new book. <laughs> it's What's called it Love and Courage, and uh, so he talks about a lot about his faith as well. Um, I also practice the same faith as Sikhism, um, but in Sikhi, like that's basically what Sikhi, like the the word Sikhi is student. So mm. like even oh, that for us is like we consider ourselves students of life and constantly everything around us we're learning from. So even that just like for me like even um, there's a if you open our scripture um, the Guru Granth Sahib the first thing you read is um, Ikum God which translates to we are all one mm-hmm. and everyone is one and um, so I think that even for myself like practicing that and just like being able to um, remember that as well is that we. I'm going to learn from you the way you're going to learn from me. We're all mirrors of Mm -hmm. each other and everything that we're going to learn is like, you know, if you don't look at it as a learning opportunity, then it's just going to happen again. And like Mm -hmm. the universe is always giving you things to just like learn from. And you have that choice. Are you going to make it? um, You can take the opportunity Mm -hmm. and blame a situation, Mm -hmm. a person and make that case. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a year later, five years later, what benefit is that to you versus the same situation, even if. 
Yeah. The, a lot of the blame does sit elsewhere. Yeah. If you even find the smallest part, like, okay, well, what responsibility do I have in the yeah. situation? Yeah. You're going to benefit from it. Okay, wait, I actually even want to read, I'm going to read the back yeah. cover of this, which I love back covers. It's mm. an art just because there, yeah. there are people who literally, their job is just oh, to yeah, write the totally. back cover. It's like, like a trailer. Yeah, but yeah. this is a quote from within the book um, of uh, Love and Courage. Sometimes loving someone, even yourself, takes a lot of courage. There isn't a single moment when I realize that. Rather, it was a lesson I learned and relearned my entire life, sometimes the hard way. Yeah. That's so simple. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> More poetry. Good. So we're, we're going to wrap up, and what, what we like to do to end the episode is we've talked about a bunch of different print <laughs> materials. What's going to stick with you from this conversation? Oh, my God, there's so many things. Um, <laughs> you go first. <laughs> Here, I'll break the ice. <laughs> student. Student. Yeah. I did it. I did not know um sick meant student. Yeah. And that's like what a way to um identify yourself. Like yeah. and so remind yourself yeah. of that. Like yeah. you know, um no matter what where you've gotten to in life, no matter what role you have, like you're a student mm -hmm. in it. You know, what like I'll be my wife and I will be married ten years this month oh, wow. and Congrats. but it's amazing but then yeah. you look at it like when you're 10 you're in grade five mm -hmm. what did you know about the world mm -hmm. like the married version of each of us mm. is basically like entering grade five right. you know yeah. what i mean and so it's like that's amazing to look at 10 you. years is an amazing accomplishment but it's also like wow. what do you know yeah. like you're in grade five like, yeah. <laughs> i love thinking about it that yeah. way that's oh crazy. my gosh yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. student is um as as an aspiration, as a reminder, um, yeah. it's, it's totally. what sticks with me. You said folks, or is there something else? Uh, I think at the end of the day, it's just it's the matter of being able to sit down and sit with two strangers and just be able to chop it up and, and talk about things that are deep and meaningful rather mm -hmm. than having like an elevator pitch conversation. Yes. Yeah, it's not so much learning. I think it's more so just it's cathartic. Mm -hmm. It feels really good to be able to just like sit down and talk. And I think that we miss a lot of the opportunity to do these things. And mm -hmm. even though you they become like insular experiences, I think they're incredibly important. So mm -hmm. thank you for having me. Oh, oh man, it's wonderful. Yeah, that's so nice. Full, dis full disclosure, <laughs> you just caught me. <laughs> well, yeah, I think for me also, just like, I mean, we're all from different backgrounds and like we wouldn't be able to have this chance to talk about yeah. things, something so critical and like be able to talk about, you know, my experience as a woman of color and like you know hearing from so many different ways even like photography too like it just excites me looking at these different books with like design elements that like you don't get a chance to always see mm -hmm. so I, that inspires me a lot as well to start making moves awesome. <laughs> I, think, I think for me um, this episode specifically it really focused on how beautiful print is mm -hmm. and so as much as I wanted to originally say human mm -hmm. was my takeaway mm -hmm. The, the beauty of print is my takeaway today. Mm -hmm. Well, it is human. At the end of it the is day, human, we, we though. It, so. it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, this is it. Thank you for being a part of Stay Reading. <laughs> Thanks for having uh, us. Done. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Big up, big up. Thank you for listening to Stay Reading. And if you want to find any of the titles we discussed today or learn more about our guests, you can always check at double underscore Stay Reading on Instagram. And wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. <laughs>